Welcome, listeners, to another Transformation Church sermon podcast. Let's prepare our hearts to receive the Word of God. Hey, it is so good to be with you guys today. Y'all are fun to worship with, man. It's so good. It's so fun. Um, I want to start by giving honor where honor is due and say thank you, Pastor Sandra, Pastor Jamie, for an opportunity to be up here and speak. Pastor Jamie is at a wedding in South Carolina, and so he sends his love, uh, and I know he is excited to be with y'all next week. Um, We are starting this new series called Vol for Life. Vol for Life. So we're going to talk about what it means to be a vol for life, to be all in, to be a Tennessee fan. What does it look like? And well, my family and I, we rolled in here a couple of months ago, and I quickly started to see what it looks like to be a vol for life. I mean, there is orange everywhere. I'm looking out here, and I'm seeing quite a bit of orange already. Y'all, y'all know you're representing, because I heard there was a basketball game last night, and uh, it went pretty well, right? Y'all might have been uh, nervous there at the end, but um, go Vols. So that was pretty good. Um, we rolled in, and there's orange everywhere, and I started to understand that being a Vol for life means that you're not just a normal fan. It means that on the inside, there's a little bit of orange, and that there is this commitment to the team. There's this this all-in mentality of we are Vols for life. We're all in on that. We're taking identity with the team. We don't just uh, talk about Rocky Top. We sing Rocky Top everywhere we go. We, We give honor to the orange. All this means that we are a Vol for life. We take on the identity of being evolved for life. And it's pretty easy to spot who is taking that on, right? So there are some, some markers, some markers of the identity of a person who's chosen to be evolved for life. One of them is the way that they dress. I wanted to show you what it looks like. Um, some of you have this already, but the way that we dress is as evolved for life. I mean, you got to get ready. You're all in. You're evolved for life. And not only that, but it, it carries with us home, too. And so I've seen some of you, I've been to a couple people's houses already, and I've seen a little bit of this Tennessee mentality, but not that far. Um, it, it carries to our houses, even. And so this vol for life is, is in our houses. And then not only that, but it, it carries on to the next generation, we have a passion, and it is something that we pass on to our kids, and we share with them. And I brought a picture, too, of that. I want to show you, man, when we are passionate about something, we carry this mentality. We got to train them up right. You know what I mean? We got to train them up. And so we pass it on. And then there is a special kind of honor. It's like a code. I've seen it. Whenever you see another Vol fan, and you see the orange There is a mutual respect. It's like passing each other in the grocery store, down the aisle. There is a mutual respect. And I know that I've seen it because I've seen the other side of it. And that Alabama fan does not get the same look as the person wearing the orange. And so we got here and I said, man, I need to be a part of this. I want to get that look when I'm going through the grocery store. So I went to the store. And I just want to make a, a declare something in front of everyone. Here we go. Um, 
that I'm all in, baby. Vol for life. So next time you see me at the grocery store, I expect the nod. Vol for life, baby. And then I took it another step further and I said, man, I got to protect my car. So you'll see our car rolling around because I don't want to be parked somewhere and someone mistake us for not being a vol for life. So you know, you've been put on notice. We are all in. This series is about not just being a Tennessee fan, but it's also about being a, a person who is all in, bought in on the team of the kingdom of God. Yeah. And so we want to look at this verse, and it's kind of going to carry with us throughout the rest of this series. But Romans chapter 12, verse 1 in the message, it says this. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embrace what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. I've learned that y'all are pretty extreme Vol fans, and we want to be extreme fans of the kingdom of God. We want to be people who, it, it's not just something on a Sunday, but it carries into every day, every part of our life. And so that's what this series is about, is taking that into every part of our life. But I, I'm a little bit of a different kind of person. I don't necessarily, like I like sports, they're okay. But I get into things that are a little bit different. They're a little bit weird. These are some of the things that I take identity in. I've, I've really bought in and got extreme with. One of them was when I was younger. It was in high school. And I just want to share a little bit about myself so you can get to know. Uh, I got into this thing called LARPing. And if you've never heard of it, it's called live action role play. I actually brought a picture so that that way you could get a, in your mind. <laughs> it's grown men with, and women with foam swords and shields, and you just fight it out, and you whack each other, and there are rules, and they take it very seriously. We had to pay membership dues. It was serious. And I got so in, it was something that defined me. I was really excited by all this, but I, I realized in high school that I needed to set that down if I wanted to find a wife. And, and so I, I, I had to set that down and I took on something new. Now, don't be fooled by this dad bod. But I took on this new thing called CrossFit. And if you know anything about CrossFit is that when you meet someone who does it, they're going to tell you that they do it, right? So I took this on and got all the way in to the point that it drives my wife nuts. Our, our <laughs> there's protein everywhere. There's dirty, stinky gym clothes all in my car. It's bad. I mean, if you, if you got to see behind uh, the closed door, you got to come to our house, you would see pretty quickly that I have chosen to go all in with this. And I think the same is for us as followers of Jesus, is that when, when someone meets us, whenever we say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, our hope is that when we look at the aspects of our life, our everyday living, it's apparent that we are a follower of Jesus. That you can see it in everything that we do, and it's a change of identity. Romans chapter six, or Romans chapter eight, verse nine, describes it like this. It says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. 
If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. This, this verse talks about being in the flesh and then moving to the realm of the Spirit. Jesus uses all kinds of metaphors to describe this change of identity. He, he describes it by saying, we've moved from darkness to light. We've moved from death to life. We were once children of wrath. Now we're children of God. And then he also says we were born in sin and now we move to righteousness. It's as if we take what we were wearing and we trade it out for the jersey and we say now I'm wearing the jersey, the orange, and I'm, I'm all in on what God is doing. There's a shift in identity. Identity is the place where we derive purpose and meaning for our lives. It is the seat of our hope and the lens that we interpret our decisions through. Identity is really important. It's how we decide what license plate we're gonna put on the back of our car. It's, <laughs> it's the things that we make decisions through. Where, what is it that we identify with? Identity change is about letting go of the old and embracing something new. You see, when we come to follow Jesus here, it's, it's something that is more than just saying, hey, I'm going to stop putting my hand in the metaphorical cookie jar. I'm going to stop sinning and I'm just going to start following the rules of God. No, God wants something more. He wants a change of identity from us because what he's saying to us is, hey, I've got the best life for you. I created you. I know you. I knew you. I knit you before you were even formed in your mother's womb. And he knows us and he knows what's best for us. So he wants us to let go of the things that we're holding on to and say, God, I'm all yours. And we take on these identities and sometimes they're not really good or bad, but they're things that we just hold on to, like parenthood, for example. As a parent, it's a good thing to be a parent, but it's also not a bad thing. If you're not a parent, you can be a really amazing, dynamic person, follower of God, and not be a parent. But at the same time, if we allow parenthood to be the seat of our hope, the place that we put our identity in, what will happen is that those wonderful little children will suck every bit of life out of us. And at the end of the day, if that is the seat of our identity, there will be nothing left. And so my hope today is that we can embrace that identity in Christ, that we can go all in and be evolved for life in that. So we're going to talk about three different identity markers, three different things that, that look like, that show us what it means when we're all in with God. These are three uh, core values of our church. They're three things that, that really, when looking at someone would say, man, they are a follower of Jesus. There's someone that's all the way bought in. The first one is diversity. And diversity is something that we've talked a lot about lately. Diversity is, is something that deals with skin color. Diversity is something that deals with our different cultures, ethnicities, places that we're from. But I, uh, diversity is, is a really big topic because the reality is that every single person sitting in this room, you have a different background, you have a different story, you have, uh, you're, you, you have a different experience in life. And my wife and I kind of found this out as we got married. Um, 
we got married pretty quickly. And so she said, one of the requirements is that you have to understand where I'm from. And I said, okay. So we went to the good old place called Bramford, Florida. Now, if you've never heard of it, it's close to the Florida-Georgia borderline. And in this town, there are no stoplights and there are more cows than people. And I am from a place very much like Knoxville. It's Tulsa, Oklahoma. And in Tulsa, Oklahoma, it's the city. I like to claim that I know some things about the country, that I, I kind of know about some of that stuff, but not at all. I like my Target clothes. I like to be, I like to be able to go to Chick-fil-A. And in this, this city, there are two restaurants, and neither of them are Chick-fil-A. And so we go there, and she starts to tell me all about her town. And it was like a scene from The Bachelor, like one of those hometown days. Raise your hand if you watch The Bachelor. I know. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It was like a hometown date. We go to the school, and the principal has a meeting arranged for us, and I get to meet the principal of our school. And I'm like, what is happening? Your principal knows your name, and it's for a good reason? And so we meet him, and we're going through this date. And then the craziest part of it, we go out to see their um, FFA class. And I didn't know what FFA is, really. And we get out there, and they stop class. And she goes, y'all, we about to go out there in the field and check out all the things that we're doing. And I'm listening to her like, I got three words of that. I didn't understand what you were saying. And so we go out on this uh, adventure in a golf cart, driving around behind their school, directly behind. It's like the playground and then the cows. And we're looking at the cows that they're raising, and oh, it's wonderful. And then the cornfield that they're growing the corn for their fall festival. And then we arrive at the garden, and they've, there's this new project. They're raising this garden, and she's telling us all about it. And I'm like, yeah, I to totally understand what you're saying. Exactly. And then she turns to us, and she starts to tell us the town gossip. And she's like, you know, this Shirley over here, she's been doing this. And then Bobby, he's, he's going over here with this. And then that person, you know, they smoking the weed. And I'm like, where are we? What is happening? And so it was great. We're from totally different backgrounds. And we came together in marriage. And it was so wonderful until we had a child. And then she's telling me, our child is going to be an FFA. And I'm like, no, they're going to be bullied. It's going to be bad for them. And they need to say, yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. That's good. But I don't know. You know, and then we're going to own chickens and goats. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. This is crazy. But what we had to learn is that we have to come together in order to be the best parents that we could ever be. And in the Bible, there's this interesting moment where the people come together. You see, Israel was a, a nation that traveled a lot. They, they were nomadic, and they traveled all over the place, and they picked up people from different areas, and people would marry in, and then they spent a lot of time in Egypt, and their group grew and changed and all of this. And, and one of God's greatest things that he wanted the people to do was to come together. And so they're all from all these different backgrounds, but they're the, the, the Israelite nation, and they're following God, and it was a big group of people. And 
The Bible describes them in two different ways. One of them is in Numbers chapter 33, verse 5. The Israelites are in a place of wandering. They're in the wilderness, and they're, they're walking around, and they're building camp, and they're um, just kind of in this wilderness moment, apart from God. And when the Bible says that Israel stopped and encamped, the word for encamped there is plural, in the Hebrew. And so as they're encamping there, that word is plural, and God is saying something is that this people group is still divided. But watch what happens. Things go, and, and the people of Israel arrive at Mount Sinai. And in Exodus chapter 19, verse 2, it talks about, and it uses the same word. It says, the people of Israel encamped at the front of Mount Sinai. And as they encamp, that word used there is singular. And what happens in a moment when the people of Israel were unified in their diversity, they came together, is that the power of God moved like never before and the Torah was given. In that moment of unity, God gave his revelation of himself to the people. It's not just here, though. In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, we see that God, uh, the people gather for Pentecost. They come from all over the known world. The, the dispersed Jewish people, they come for this moment. And those who have chosen to follow Christ and they start following him, they come together as one. And we have this moment in the upper room where the Holy Spirit drops. And once again, God reveals himself like never before as the people are unified. The word there used is, is, the, is homothemadon. They gathered together in one accord. It's not just there, too. In history, we've seen this. It's this place called Azusa Street Revival. People from all different backgrounds come together in 1921, and God moves like never before. This is the truth about diversity, is that when a diverse group of people come together in unity, it acts like a magnet for the power of God. And so what I want to say this morning is that we have to be intentional with our diversity because it is truly our power. When you're on the field of play or you're in the stands and you see someone who's wearing the jersey, it doesn't matter what they look like underneath. It doesn't matter what their background is. They are evolved for life. They're in the family. They're a part of what's happening. And so when someone comes in this building and they, they, it doesn't matter what they look like, it doesn't matter what their background is, they're in on what God is doing. They're a part of the family. Diversity is a core marker of our identity in Christ. The next one is this, is, is a forward looking towards the next generation. And what I mean by that is as a person who is a follower of Christ, we have to be looking forward to what God is doing next in the next generation. There's this story in the Bible, it comes from Ezra and chapter three, the people of God they had been taken into captivity in Babylon and their, their, their homeland was destroyed. 
It was over the period of many years, but the Babylonians, they came and they attacked and, and over several different attacks, they destroyed the temple, they destroyed all of Israelites' homeland, and they took them to be slaves in, their ho- in, in Babylon. And the people of God, they live there and they grow and, and they have to find identity in Christ when all the things that they used to place identity in are gone. And God starts to teach the people what it means to be a follower of him apart from the temple. And and then this miraculous moment happens. The king sends the people back to rebuild their temple and their homeland. And they've been praying for this moment and it's extravagant and crazy because why would a king let this group of people go back and rebuild? Because if they start to rebuild, who knows what they'll do? But they start to rebuild the temple and generations have passed and then we pick up and they're laying the foundation in Ezra chapter 3. We're in verse 11 and it says this. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise. And in this powerful moment, the greatness of the past kept them from seeing the miracle in the present. These people who had seen what God had done, they knew the greatness and the glory of the temple before. They had been under this time of suffering in Babylon and they come back and God is doing a new thing, a new miracle. It's amazing that the temple is being built and they're weeping because it doesn't look like what God used to do. And so as a follower of Christ... We have to be looking for what God is doing next. We want to be looking for the new thing that God is doing. I took a group of students to youth camp, and camp is the greatest thing ever. So Access Nation, sign up for Access Nation. If you're a parent, we want your student to go. Camp changes lives, period. It's true. We take this group of students and I'm so excited to see what God is going to do because there are several students going with us who their family of origin, they don't come from a family who knows God and, and this is a new experience for them. They're trying to learn what it means to follow God. They're interested in it and they've been walking with us for some time. And we arrive at camp and God is moving. He's doing great things. We're playing crazy games in the afternoon, getting muddy and dirty and crazy. And then at night we're going and singing worship and hearing a word and it's amazing. And God is moving and we come to the last night. And some of our girls, they were so excited for the last night that they got all dressed up. They picked their clothes out before they came. And one of them was a girl whose family didn't know God. She was kind of paving a new path. And we arrive at the auditorium and we're excited for what God is going to do. And a lady decided that it was her job to laugh and make fun of the way that our girl chose to dress. Because it wasn't like she had seen before. 
it looked a little bit different than what she had seen before. And in that moment, I think what God had for this girl was disrupted because someone said, it doesn't look like what I've seen God doing before. It doesn't look the same. This was a moment that generational curses could be broken, that a new path could be picked for this girl. And God was doing something amazing, but we missed it because it didn't look like what it used to. And I spent that service just weeping. And so as a follower of Jesus, we have to be looking and saying, man, I want to be a part of what God is doing tomorrow. The world is changing. It looks different every single day. And we want to be a part of that, the miracles God is doing. The last marker that we're going to talk about today uh, that defines a follower of Jesus is honor. And honor kind of in the definition, it means this. In, in the dictionary, it says uh, one of the, the definitions says adherence to what is right or to conventional, conventional standard of contact, conduct. As a vault for life, we kind of understand the orange. Like I said, when you go in the store, you see the nod. Someone, there is a certain level of honor towards the person who is wearing the orange. There is a certain level of honor we give towards the song, Rocky Top. There is a way of doing things that you never say Peyton Manning's name in vain. There is a level of honor that comes with being someone who identifies as a vol for life. And I think the same is true for someone who, as we identify as a follower of Christ, is that there is a right way of conduct. There is a way of doing things that God has called us to, to live our lives. And I want to talk about this story in Luke chapter 19. Jesus is on the road and he encounters this man named Zacchaeus. Now Zacchaeus was more than a wee little man. He was also a tax collector and that was bad. The tax collectors were people who had betrayed their nation. The Romans occupied and they would instill a puppet government and they would have the people who lived there govern their own people. And Zacchaeus was one of those who said, I'm in, I'll betray my people. He was bad. And Jesus stops, and in verse, chapter 19, it says this, verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Jesus encounters Zacchaeus and he does such a strange thing. He invites himself over to his house. And that day when the prophet of the Lord walked into town, they would stay at someone's house. And it was an honor to receive the prophet because blessing followed them. 
Whenever the prophet stayed in the house, the finances, the influence, all of the things that that household had would be blessed. They would grow and multiply and all of the favor of God rested on that house. And Jesus enters into town and he chooses Zacchaeus. What? The people are like, Jesus, this is wrong. But Jesus does this over and over. He chooses to honor with love and grace because that is the posture of the Father. You see, honor is this. Honor is a posture of love towards the ones that the Creator loves. Jesus flips it upside down, and he says, no, it doesn't matter that they deserve it. It's not about that. It's not about deserving it or not deserving it. I'm going to honor you because this is the way that the Creator wants me to live, with love and grace. Yeah. So as a church, our job is to say this is the posture of the Creator. This is the way that the creator would have us to live. And everyone we, we meet, we meet with honor and love and grace. Jesus did this all over the place. He honored the marginalized. He honored the children. He honored the diseased with leprosy. He honored the prostitute. And then he honored Matthew, another tax collector. And he said, hey, come follow me. Come be with me. And I can't help but think about the crisis that we are seeing unfold in Ukraine. And I saw a video the other day of a woman who was Ukrainian meeting with a Russian soldier. And as she met with him, she prepared him a hot tea and then had him call his mother. And I don't know necessarily whether or not this story is true, but as I saw it, I couldn't help but think if a country under attack... If a country under war could choose to honor with love and grace that way, how much more can we as servants of the King of Kings in his kingdom choose to love and honor the people who walk in this door, the people that we go to work with? The people that are in our family when we walk in the door at home and it's been a long day of work and we want nothing more than to just sit on the couch and zone out. But no, we're a follower of Jesus, so we choose honor to our children. We choose to meet them with love and grace. All three of these things, I think, are sort of the orange, if you will, as a follower of Jesus that we lift up and we say, man, if I look at that person and their identity is in Christ, then they're a person of honor. They're a person who is looking for what God is doing next in the new way, in the next generation. And they're a person who is gotta go back, who is always looking towards diversity and saying, we're going to celebrate the differences that God has given us. And we're going to come together in one because that is where God's power is. That is where God's power resides. I want to finish with this story. And you might be sitting here and you might be saying, Dylan, that sounds really great. 
my identity, uh, if, I had, if I knew where my identity was, if it felt like I could really get it together, then maybe I could be that person who walks in honor and walks in love and, and diversity and is looking forward. But man, you don't know, it's, all I have to bring is an empty shell. I've tried placing my identity in different things and it hasn't worked out. All I have is just a long laundry list of, of mistakes or running away from God, and that's all I have to bring. How could I ever get to a place where my identity is in Christ? How could I get to that place where confidence and hope and all the decisions and things that I'm doing are based on Jesus? There's a passage in the Bible. It's a story in John chapter 5. And I think it's such a beautiful story. Jesus is, is on a journey and he comes to this place called the Pool of Bethesda. And at the Pool of Bethesda, um, it was kind of, there were mixed opinions about this place. Some of the, the spiritual leaders of the day, they said, no, that is, that is evil. It's sacrilegious. We don't really know what to do with it. It seems like miracles are happening there. People would climb into the pool and then they would be healed. But no one really knew what to do with it, yet it existed because something was happening there. And Jesus chooses to stop here, this messy place. Jesus seemed to like messy places. And he walks in there, and it's like he has this, this appointment to meet with a man. And, and it picks up in John chapter 5, verse 5. It says this. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Skipping down to verse 14, it says this. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Jesus encounters this man at the pool. And I can't help but thinking that all this man knew was 38 years of the pool of Bethesda. His identity was only one thing. An invalid who laid at the pool of Bethesda hoping to get well. And I believe that it probably over 38 years as he pulled on the rope of that identity, at the end of it, all he found was emptiness. There was nothing there. And he did that for 38 years and he's been there and that's all he knows. There's probably not much left. And then Jesus walks up and he asks him kind of a normal question for the circumstance. But a little bit differently, he says, hey, do you want to get well? And the man, I'm sure, looks at him like, what do you think? 
I've been here for 38 years. And as he's lying there, his response, I've heard several people talk about it, and, and his response is not one of, no, I don't want to get well. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think that his response was very clear. It came from the context and identity that he knew. He said, there is no one to help me into the pool. He's still speaking out of his broken identity. And then Jesus changes everything. And he says, get up, take your mat and walk out of here. And at that moment, something shifted. That man's identity completely changed because Jesus entered the scene and he said, I see you in your brokenness. I'm going to meet you in the shell of emptiness that you're living in right now. And I'm going to speak over you a new identity. And this new identity is one that is healed, that is whole, that is put together. And I'm going to tell you to do something. Get up, take your mat, and walk out of here. I want you to take your mat because you're not coming back here. Your identity is completely changed from this moment forward. And I believe that there are probably some people who have walked in today who've been pulling on the rope of identity with something that is not Jesus. Whether it's parenthood, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a job. And at this moment, it feels like you've been pulling for a really long time. And at the end of that, is, there's just emptiness. And it's like, how could I ever have that hope? How could I ever have that purpose for my life? Jesus is here today. And his response is, get up, take your mat, and walk out of here. Walk out of here a new person who is healed and whole and fully delivered. He finishes the passage with something so special. He meets the man again. And when he meets him, he says, man, you need to stop sinning. <laughs> this man didn't have it together. This man was still a mess. He didn't have his life together. He didn't have it put together. He wasn't holy. He didn't deserve this. There was nothing he did that caused Jesus to wade into his mess that day. But that's the God that we serve. That's the God that we're here to worship today. And that's the God that when we walk around and we carry these identity markers and we, we live that out in our life, that we share with everyone around us. And so this morning, with every head bowed and, and eyes closed, if you would, if you're saying, man, Dylan, today, that is me. I've been trying an identity for a really long time. I've been putting my hope in something that is not Jesus. And today I wanna make a fresh start. I wanna make a decision to say, I'm gonna put my hope in Jesus. Then I wanna invite you to lift your hand and I'm just gonna pray for you. I'm not gonna call you forward. I'm not gonna single you out. I just wanna pray with you. And I believe 
that today when you walk out of here, that you're gonna walk out of here healed and whole. And you're gonna walk out of here with the power of the Holy Spirit with you. So if that's you, on the count of three, I'd invite you to raise your hand. Uh, if you're saying, man, I want to make that fresh start today. If that's you, would you just lift your hand on the count of three? One, two, three. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. See you. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we love you, Father. Lord, I thank you so much for every person in this room, Jesus. Father, I pray that you would help us to live our lives sold out to you, God. Father, I pray for the people who have lifted their hands today to make that fresh start, Lord. God, I pray that you would meet them right now, Lord, that you would declare that they are free, that they are whole because of your work on the cross. God, we thank you for your death and resurrection, Jesus. And Father, I pray that you would encourage every single person as they walk out of this room to walk in their identity with you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Guys, give it up for what God is doing. He is doing such a good thing. Thank you for listening to another Transformation Church sermon podcast. If you would like someone to pray with you, or if you would like some ministry materials, please email us at hello at transformationchurch.us.